All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And welcome to Hardline. This is Kevin Hardwick. Happy Father's Day out there to all you fathers. A big day for, for us all. Uh, half an hour from now, we'll be joined live in studio by Patrick Kaler. Patrick is president and CEO of Visit Buffalo Niagara. Visit Buffalo Niagara. Some of you may not be familiar with that. It used to be the Convention and Visitors Bureau. Later on, we'll be joined live in studio by Buffalo Niagara Film Commissioner Tim Clark. Uh, my goal today is to get myself uh, a position as an extra in a feature film coming up. We'll <laughs> see if uh, we succeed. Uh, right now in studio, however, I'm joined by my celebrity. Yeah, that's right. Celebrity co host Bill Conrad. Bill Conha- Conrad, uh, 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 town of Councilman. Bill, welcome. Happy Father's Day to you. Now, you Happy are. Happy Father's Day. Thanks I, I, for having I'm me. I'm kind of a father, but I'm not so much an active father because my kids are mostly. You're growing. always, you're, you're you're always an active kids. father. Yes. You're, you're, you're actually raising kids. And, and I don't want to talk about you. I want to talk about your wife, sure. uh, Mary Kate. And you because, should. Because I, well, the talent <laughs> in the family. I, yes. I, I, yeah. I heard. Uh, I heard coming in on Randy Bushover's uh, morning news uh, an ad for Lord of the Dance is coming to one of the casinos. Now, is mm-hmm. your wife? You, you told me she was in Riverdance, right? No, but no, she was. She had she tried was, out for Riverdance. She tried out no, for yeah, Riverdance. Yeah, yeah. Okay, she, uh, but she had danced uh, at a, a national championship, or I'm sorry, world and, championship level. And she teaches. She teaches uh, Irish dancing yep. now. And you are the rugby coach and a social studies professor, yeah. professor teacher, teacher, teacher yeah. in that order. Yeah. At uh, at Ken West. Um, li- listen, uh, Bill and I uh, have a couple of callers this half hour. First one is uh, is uh, a repeat, a uh, an Amherst boy who's made good in D.C., Chris Malagisi. Chris is currently the uh, the uh, the editor-in-chief of the Conservative Book Club, and he joins us now via the WBEN live line. Uh, Chris, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, and happy Father's Day to you. Well, happy, happy Father's Day. Day to you, and there's some news in that regard. This is your first Father's Day, is it not? Do you want to announce to all your friends back in Buffalo what the deal is? Uh, it, thank you. Yeah, it is. Uh, my wife uh, gave birth to our son last week, Ethan Nicholas Koval Malagisi, and he's 11 days old. And, uh, yeah, our first Father's Day, it's going great. I slept more than four hours last night. <laughs> Is it? Is it kind of? Uh, do, you, do you feel kind of guilty that your first Father's Day is before your wife's first Mother's Day? I mean, you didn't plan that well, did you? Should, shouldn't Mother's Day come before Father's Day? It, well, we did celebrate in the womb. She was still a mother, so we. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, good, good, good plan. Good, move. good, good plan. Move. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you're, you're the editor in chief of the Conservative Book Club. Um, Read any good books lately or talked to any interesting authors? Absolutely. Uh, conservative book club are based in the swamp here in D.C. <laughs> 750,000 members across the country. We let everybody know about new, new, the latest and greatest books out. And definitely two books. Um, if you are interested, Newt Gingrich's new book, Trump's America, The Truth About Our Nation's Great Comeback. It's number one right now in our conservative book bestseller list, um, but it's a great overview of the Trump administration and what they've been able to accomplish so far and the challenges that they dealt with. 
the one that's really my favorite right now, and I strongly recommend this book, is Jordan Peterson's new book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. Um, it was the number one New York Times bestselling book, too, and, and perhaps many of our, your listeners know about him. He's kind of become an on-campus free speech folk hero who's been able uh, to engage in debates when he's not being shouted down about how science and politics are intertwined and that there's much we can learn, not only in the Western tradition of liberty, but of tradition and order, and that could be the antidote to the political and social chaos that has been stewing over the last couple of decades. And it's a, a wonderful book, Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Now, now, did you actually conduct an interview with him, and, and is it available on a podcast? We, we, are working, we are working on the interview with him. We actually we do have a national podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, we just interviewed Ainsley Earhart from Fox News' Fox & Friends. Uh, and she's one of the co-hosts of mm-hmm. the new book, The Light Within. And, yeah, we do a weekly podcast every Wednesday. And, yeah, we're working on Jordan Peterson. We're going to get him. And, and, and those podcasts are available where? Uh, conservativebookclub.com backslash podcast. Very good. Hey, um, I, I got to ask you. I mean, Bill uh, Conrad, my co-host, and I are up here in uh, in in in. Well, we both are from Tonawanda, but we're in the Buffalo area. You're down there in D.C. I've been seeing a lot. I I, I keep seeing uh, a lot on the front page of newspapers. This this photo of this uh, uh, little girl being taken from her mother, or actually, her mother is being frisked. I'm not sure she's being taken in this photo. But it, 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 it really is, uh, is it not creating a, a, a backlash against the Trump immigration policy? And then are, are, are people down there talking about it? And, and do you think that, that it's going to bring about a change? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these pictures have been just heart-wrenching. Um, but, you know, looking at this and looking at what's going on, I think we have to put it in context a little bit here. Like, what's going on? Why are we seeing these pictures in the first place? And, People have to remember that this is due to a policy that actually started in the Clinton administration in 1997. And it's basically, it's about when people come to our country illegally. Um, usually, um, you know, they cross the border with their families. And for a short period of time, there's a separation that occurs with the parents and children to make sure that uh, those are the parents of the children that are coming over. And usually within a day or two, that's resolved. But the problem that we're seeing that we've heard about all in the last week or two is about if those same people that are crossing our border illegally decide to also claim asylum, political asylum, Mm -hmm. something completely different. And apparently, according to ICE, uh, the Immigration and Border Control, uh, they say 80% of the people that come across our border that claim political asylum, 80% of them are bogus. They're not real. But what happens is if someone does come, according to our current law, you have to allow that person to have an ind- opportunity to present their case in court, which means that could take more than just a day or two. We're talking a couple weeks to where there's this separation that might occur. And it's a shame because, yes, we see these pictures of all these children being held in the uh, shelters. You, you just you mentioned a day or two. I mean, that's a that's a, regardless of who started the policy. Just for you know, for everyday people, I think that's such a hard thing to grasp. You know, to be separated from a child for two days, possibly. It is. I mean, it, it absolutely is, and it's, it's tough. And it's you know, I wish our Congress would get their act together and pass some immigration reform that would actually deal with this and fix this type of thing. And they can do that. They've got two mm-hmm. things right now. They've got the Bob Goodlatte bill, which is a bill that he's um, a congressman in Virginia, but it's a conservative immigration reform bill. And Paul Ryan and uh, some of the, the more moderate Republicans are working on another immigration bill that's going to come up in the next week or two. President Trump is actually going to meet with the Republican House caucus on Tuesday 
to talk about how they can resolve these type of issues. And hope you, you, you know, you mentioned you mentioned earlier the the Clinton administration and and this policy going back to then. I I hearken back to the Clinton administration. Another famous photo, iconic photo that came out of that. And that was the Elian Gonzalez photo. Mm. Remember mm-hmm. with the uh, with the with the with the federal agents in 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 full body armor and everything, and the gun and the kid's face. Uh, you, you know, and the outrage that that created. I mean, I think that's that's per- comparable to what's happened here. And you would you know you would hope that there's some discretion someplace that that maybe someone somewhere would rethink this policy because it's. It, it, it's probably not going to get any easier. I mean, this this uh, publicity is going to increase. Let me let me change I, this. I, just even caveat on that. I think about that photo from Europe, uh, from the African immigrants coming they, in. They, I mean, they, the, the yeah. lifeless body on the beach. I mean, that that had there ramifications. Are, I mean, the pictures are are powerful. Let me let me change the uh, the subject quickly. We've only got a couple more minutes, Chris, and I do appreciate you being here. The FBI and uh, um, um, investigation the. Uh, uh, Inspector General's report, pretty damning, uh, you know, from all sides of the FBI and both sides of the, you know, Trump, anti-Trump uh, uh, argument investigation uh, are, are, are finding fodder here, are they not? I mean, it's uh, it's not good for the institution, the FBI. Oh, it, it's just awful for the institution, the FBI. Yeah, of course, everybody's talking about this in the swamp. This, this week, uh, that, the immigration in North Korea, but definitely the FBIG report. Look, I think we have to remember, what is this report all about in the first place? This is about Hillary Clinton's mishandling classified information. That's what started this whole investigation in the first place. And while the, the report is careful in its conclusions, I think it's pretty damning in its facts. Hillary did not, they, the FBI did not prosecute her and gave her special treatment uh, to a presidential candidate and gave none of the same thing to Donald Trump and the so-called Russian collusion investigation. And, you know, when you look at the, all the text messages and the FBI agents and the bias, I, you got to ask, where, you notice there's no pro-Trump text, there's no anti-Hillary text, there's no pro-Trump FBI officials, no anti-Hillary officials. It, it's unfortunate because this bias is so pervasive and it really does for half of America, they're just not even paying attention to it. And it's sad because the FBI is a really important part of our law enforcement, and we need to be have an FBI that people respect. And I don't know, when you go look through look through the report, I don't trust the media on this. You can read the report. It's online. Mm-hmm. Um, it is 500 pages. And if you, you know, some things, though, to point out, though, is there was definitely the IG um, did state that there was insubordination and bias. And while they, he concluded, I think, wrongly that, there was no bias that tainted the investigation. He did say that there was serious error of judgment on behalf of FBI Director Comey. He concealed information from the superiors, violated or disregarded departments or bureau policies. And the irony, Kevin, is that Comey used a private email himself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the whole thing is just, just weird. And it, it, I mean, it, everything's, it really, everything has bias. I mean, <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I mean, but and and again, this is this Inspector General report just focuses on the Hillary Clinton email thing. I mean, there's a whole other question of what's going on with the Russia investigation, and and that's something you know most people want the FBI if 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 our elections are being compromised by a, a foreign adversary, you want the FBI involved, and this just their 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 credibility is in question now, um, and it's it's just not a good situation. Absolutely. So, so, so being that you're, again, you opened up by saying you're down there in the swamp. You, you want to come back? I mean, you're welcome <laughs> back here. I mean, it's a nice place now that you have a family. I mean, a kid. Nice place to, to raise, uh, young Ethan. 
I, you know, I I love Buffalo, New York. It'll always be my home. My father's there, Nick Malagisi, and my uncle Steve Coladas. I wish them happy Father's Day too. And I, it will always be home for me. And I, we're going to be coming home. Well, well, all this bad stuff. That's a nice note to end on. And and again, <laughs> happy Father's Day. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Chris. All right. Happy Father's Day to you. All right. We have to take a break now. Thanks again to Chris Malagisi, uh, uh, editor-in-chief of the Conservative Book Club. When we come back, we'll be joined by uh, the guy that uh, many people blame for bringing me to uh, uh, Western New York, Peter J. Gailey, uh, former uh, chairman of the uh, political science department at Canisius College. Uh, we'll be talking about the lieutenant governor, uh, which, uh, not, not Kathy Hochul per se, but the job of the lieutenant governor, because it's, uh, created a lot of, uh, questions in Albany with the Senate being deadlocked 3131. What can the lieutenant governor do? What can't the lieutenant governor do? Anyway, when we return, Bill Conrad, my co-host, will be here. I'll be here. I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And welcome back to the program. This is Kevin Hardwick sitting here with uh, celebrity co-host, Tonawanda <laughs> Councilman Bill Conrad, my good friend. Like uh, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you all. Uh, to make this a little bit more less stressful for me, uh, uh, and I'm, I apologize to uh, Super Producer Joe Beamer about this, this is going to be a Mets-free uh, program. We're not going to talk about the Mets today because that's just wrong. Re- that just, that, yeah, the one win in a row. That just raises my blood pressure. <laughs> Listen, uh, speaking about blood pressure, a lot of people are mad that I'm, I'm even in Western New York. The person to blame for that, of course, is the former chair of the political science department at Canisius College, Peter J. Gailey. Uh, he joins us now on the, uh, on the live line. Peter, welcome to the program. How are you doing? I'm fine, uh, on this wonderful, Happy Father's Day. Ha- Happy Father's Day. Happy now, Father's now, Day. before we before we get into uh, what we what we called you about, uh, you have a perfect perch there, uh, right there on West River Road on uh, on Grand Island, uh, overlooking the lawnmower races. Have the festivities started? Because <laughs> Father's Day, your friend Floyd, you introduced me to these, has his lawnmower races, right? I think I think that's I think it's on the Fourth of July, but I'm not sure because I thought it was on no, Father's I, I, Day. I think it's the Fourth of July. Fourth of July? Well, this is your district. Th- this is my district. I should know this. I thought it was Father's Day. There's nothing going on there. Is there any resident? Is there anyone outside r- your racing house now a lawnmower with right a now? lawnmower? Woman running with her dog. Okay, well, there yeah. you have it on the on the spot live report. Listen, uh, that's not why we called you. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to bring you on because the last few weeks the New York State Senate has been kind of in a stalemate because a member of the Senate, a Republican member, got called to active duty in the Navy, I believe, and uh, they're left with a, a – there there are 63 members, but now they're deadlocked 3131. And the question that's been looming there is what is the role of the lieutenant governor? What can the lieutenant governor do in breaking ties? What ties can they break? Uh, Democrats see an opening here. They say, aha, we've got the lieutenant governor, just happens to be Kathy Hochul. Uh, currently uh, from from Western New York, but regardless, they think that they can actually accomplish things that they couldn't earlier. Now, you have written a couple books and countless articles on the New York State Constitution. If anybody, if anybody can answer this question, it's Peter J. Gailey. Peter, what's the answer? Oh, well, <laughs> the answer is uh, yes. Yes, yes to what? <laughs> well, the... Uh, the, the, the lieutenant governor's uh, office in New York State is, for a lot of reasons, 
both an embarrassment and a mess. It's, I say that because a number of very important issues about this Lieutenant Governor's Office have never been uh, resolved. One of them is the casting vote. So you have this role as casting the casting vote uh, given to the lieutenant governor, who, by the way, is described in the executive article, not the legislative article, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the legislative uh, activity. That starts things off, I think, on the wrong foot. And you also have this difference in opinion as to what a casting vote is. At the, if you look at the medieval and English common law tradition, casting law vote means a vote to break a tie. That's not what it means in New York, because everyone agrees, apparently, that the casting vote can be cast, but not for matters of substance. And it can't be in New York because of a provision in the Constitution which says that you have to be a member of the Senate to vote on a piece of legislation. So, so, so unlike vice president, the the lieutenant governor is not president of the Senate? Sure. it's it, Well, well is, it, is it because... Is a lieutenant governor president of the Senate? He is, but he does not have a vote on a substantive policy issue hmm. because of another provision in the New York State Constitution which says you have to be a member. He is not a member of the Senate. I see. And so, unlike the Vice President of the United States who can uh, cast a vote on a substantive, substantive matter, mm-hmm. the governor cannot. The issue is not whether... Uh, the, the issue really is whether he can cast a vote at all. The Republicans apparently are claiming that uh, he can't uh, cast it. Well, well, what can they do then? What can the lieutenant governor do? Well, well, I, I think the answer is I believe that the history indicates that, he, that the lieutenant governor can cast a vote on matters of procedure. I see. So now, when it comes to substance, no, but when procedure, yes? Think in, in question, what is a procedural matter? So, so like uh, uh, adding an amendment to, uh, to a bill, they can do that. But then when it comes to voting on the bill itself, they cannot break the vote break the tie that's one reasonable interpretation mm-hmm. of how the limits on this provision testing well, about well i'm i'm nothing if not reasonable here you know here we're we're up against uh alan harris and the bottom of the hour news but here i was hoping we could find uh find clarity here uh and you've just uh you you've just uh um told us that uh, that uh, <laughs> that really the lieutenant governor can't do what we thought the lieutenant governor could do. Is she, is, is she nothing more than a liaison to the federal government then? Yeah. Anyway, Peter, they, uh, sorry there are no lawnmower races there today. We do have to break. But thank you for joining us today. And, uh, and uh, enjoy the lawnmower races whenever they are. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Thanks. That was Peter Gailey. Uh, uh, former uh, uh, head of the political science department at Canisius College. We have to take a break now. Alan Harris is standing by. When we come back, uh, Bill Conrad, my guest host, and uh, uh, and I will be joined by Patrick Kaler, uh, CEO and president of the Visit Buffalo Niagara, uh, and we'll be talking about a variety of issues. Anyway, uh, I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN.
And welcome back to Hardline. Kevin Hardwick here. Uh, in a moment, we'll be getting to Patrick Kaler, uh, president and CEO of Visit Buffalo Niagara. If you have a question for Patrick about, uh, I don't know, anything we're doing touristy here or anything, uh, anything at all, uh, feel free to call us at 803-0930. But before we do that, uh, my co-host, uh, Bill, uh, uh, Bill Conrad from, uh, from Tonawanda Council has uh, cleared up some of the uh, confusion that I created uh, a few minutes ago well, when I was talking to Peter Gailey about the lawnmower races because were, were, they were always Father's Day, not I, the 4th of July. You, I hate to admit this, but you were correct. It was and regularly yes, it was regularly scheduled for Father's Day. However, it was moved to September 15th at Veterans Park for a Fall Father's Day Spectacular. A Fall Father's Day Spectacular. Well, I, I guess it's stretching Father's Day out. That's fine. Listen. That's a good thing. Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's turn to the man sitting next to me, uh, uh, Patrick Kaler. Welcome welcome to the show. Thank you for coming in on this uh, Father's Day. Um, uh, give us a little background. You've been you've been here for a few years now. You're actually staying here for a few years. I, who, who would have thought? I know. I actually, I can remember when you came to my office in the county legislature. Introduced yourself. You were coming from Virginia, was it at right, the time? Right outside. And I said, "Oh, this guy will be here a year and he'll be gone." But no, I just started my fifth year. Uh, loving Buffalo. It's it's really the uh, best job that I've ever had in my professional career. And I've been across the country. Like you said, I did come from Northern Virginia, right outside of D.C., D.C.'s wine country. And before that, I was in Los Angeles. I ran all the international offices for the Los Angeles Tourism Bureau. And before that, I was in Lake Tahoe. And previous to that, uh, in Chicago, running the Great Lakes of North America, as well as a tour company in Chicago. And I grew up in uh, the central Illinois portion of Illinois, down by University of Illinois, in a small town called Rantoul, Illinois. Wow. What what is it? Uh, what is it about uh, this area that attracted you in the first place? Because certainly there there had to be openings across the United States. Well, I tell this story a lot, and I get a lot of chuckles out of it. Uh, when I was in uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, the headhunter called me and said, "Hey, I've got this great opportunity in Buffalo," and I said, "I think you should call me back when you've got a great opportunity." And <laughs> Because, honestly, I, I didn't know what was taking place. All I knew was that the Bills lost uh, four Super four Bowls, Super Bowls. Uh, that there was a really bad snowstorm in 1977, and then really anything positive that Tim Russert would say on Meet the Press. And he said, no, you've really got to take a look at it, because he had actually had the job years before mm -hmm. and is now a headhunter and a consultant. And uh, I said, all right, I'll, I'll do some research. And when I started looking at what was taking place in Buffalo, and uh, when I actually came to Buffalo in, on January 1st of 2014, there were seven cranes in the year. Uh, the waterfront hadn't been developed. Uh, mm. Harbor Center was still, you know, uh, under construction. They hadn't started anything at the Richardson Complex. And I thought, this is really the great place to be at the right time for somebody who does what I do. I'm going to be able to change the whole vernacular of how we market and promote this truly great destination. Your, your, your timing was impeccable. When you talk about changing the marketing, what, what have been the big changes since you've been here? Well, you know, when I first got here in 2014, we, we started telling the story of the transformation that was taking place because I said, really, that's kind of interesting, too, for visitors to come and see the Darwin Martin House under mm -hmm. construction. Mm -hmm. And then they'll come back later on to see it completed. So I said, let's work off of that as well. Um, but uh, really, we have great architecture, history, arts and culture. We really have it all. We have two professional sports teams, three uh, with the Bisons, or right now the mm -hmm. Buffalo Wings. Um, we've got great <laughs> culinary. Um, and I just really think that we are now truly a year-round destination. We are seeing our uh, occupancy numbers for the winter months start to increase because of canal side we've got people who are coming for leisure visitors 
uh, leisure activities in the winter, plus all of the new hockey tournaments that we're able to lure in those shoulder months as well. So it's a great destination. Yeah, you know, a lot of this comes together in the new video that's uh, that a lot of people are talking about. It came out uh, this week. I saw it on. You know, someone had linked to it on Facebook mm-hmm. or something, and and people can't. I mean, there've been rave reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that? How did that come about? Did you guys pay for that? We did. Um, actually, we we kicked it off, and then we had some of our economic development partners, the Buffalo Niagara Partnership, Invest Buffalo, Forty Three North, uh, the Larkin Development Corporation, uh, because it also tells an economic development story, and that's one of the things that we've been doing on meetings and conventions is telling those economic development stories for uh, convention planners to say, bring your meeting to to Buffalo and you can tie it into these major economic sectors that we have. So really the video that is actually titled Right Here, Right Now um, is a time-lapse video. It has been three years in the making. Um, we have hours and hours and hours of video footage that uh, my fir- the first cut of it was 15 minutes. I said, we'll never get away with 15 minutes of uh, video. And we chopped it down to about a uh, little over four minutes. And it has gotten really great pickup. Uh, we've had over uh, close to 400,000 views so far, and it hasn't even been out a week. Now, now is that internet only? Is that, uh, is that yes. it's social media? It, and that's, that's you're hoping people around the nation see that? Exactly. That's the great thing with uh, social media and having things go viral. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, Visit Buffalo Niagara. It's on our uh, Facebook page and uh, so many people are linking to it as well it's just been a really great tool for everybody I, I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm extremely impressed by the video and I, you know a lot of conversations are going around the country about the psychology of decline and how hard it is to get that psychology to reverse and it seems like this is part of it uh, you know I'm just overly impressed by some of the efforts that have been going on I had a friend in from Houston uh, we went for dinner on Friday and he just said I can't I can't imagine this place mm-hmm. he hasn't been back in two years you know? yeah amazing. That's what we hear uh, quite often is that, uh, and that really plays into our overall advertising campaign as the unexpected Buffalo, because when we bring in a meeting planner or a sports right holder, or even just a leisure visitor, I didn't expect Buffalo to be this cool or this exciting. And so that's how that whole whole, uh, campaign kind of came to be, because that's what we were hearing from our customers, because they said, I didn't expect this. Now, you yourself didn't have that expectation. Exactly. Now, how, how are you able to transmit that? That out then how do you communicate that to the rest of the country well i'm i'm very active on social media myself and i i took a lot of hard knocks from my friends and colleagues uh who said really you're going to buffalo and so i really make sure that all of my friends and family know what a great place this is and so many people react to my facebook post because really i just litter it with all these great things that are happening said oh my gosh i've got to come to buffalo i have a cousin who constantly is saying, I really got to come to Buffalo because I didn't know that you had these really great things. Okay, we, we have to take a quick break now. When we return, however, we'll talk about one of the missing pieces that was highlighted mm. in a, uh, a report that you commissioned that, that uh, was re- uh, made public this week. Uh, and, of course, I'm speaking about the Convention Center. So we'll talk about all things Convention Center with Patrick Kaler, <laughs> uh, CEO and Much president of Visit <laughs> Buffalo Niagara. My co-host is uh, is uh, Bill Conrad. I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. 
And welcome back to the program. Kevin Hardwick sitting here with my co-host, Tonawanda Councilman Bill Conrad. Also, Patrick Kaler, President and CEO of Visit Buffalo Niagara. In a few minutes, we'll be joined, well, about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by uh, Tim Clark, uh, Buffalo Niagara Film Commissioner. Uh, Patrick, let's talk about that study that came out this week um, that that you guys commissioned on, on our pluses, our minuses. Look, you know, we look really good with one glaring exception, and that's our convention center, which uh, comes off as like uh, like a, a, a huge liability. That's right. Well, uh, this week we released the, the results of a Destination Next study through Destinations International. That's kind of the uh, overall organization for destination marketing organizations such as Visit Buffalo Niagara. And uh, they have a 20-point uh, system that they look at a destination through the lens of, uh, through a perception lens of our customers, our local business community, our stakeholders, and so how they grade our destination. So this doesn't look at our visitors, um, but the convention center came in th- at the lowest um, on a scale of uh, one to five. It came in at a 2.73. It was the lowest variable out of all of the things on the report. Um, but, you know, our uh, convention center is turning 40 this year. I, I Right now I'm saying it's a museum piece. In, in, in addition to everything else, I couldn't believe I, I read in the article that our ceiling is four inches too low to host volleyball tournaments. That's right. So even when four we talk... Four inches too low? Four inches too low. So when we talk about the convention center, it's not just about meetings and conventions. Volleyball is now a game of inches. It, Forget it about is, football. It is. It is. <laughs> Can we put those dampers up a little higher? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when we talk about the convention center, it's not just about conventions. Yeah. We need something that can hold multi-purpose events so whether it be a, a volleyball tournament or you know the home show the car show lots of different things that we can hold in a major facility there's there's a study ongoing yes uh, about and i know that uh, i i know that uh, the the car dealers it's tougher and tougher to get them back here yes they, it is they, they it, have to they have to sell this place because it's not what they're used to for the car shows that's right and they're they're getting tied on space too so we're they're starting to get outgrow our convention center and so they're looking at you know where else do we go um, in is Western it, New York or in Buffalo. Hasn't there been some success stories, though? Like Homeland Security had a big convention there. I mean, I, we're, we're talking bad about it, but right. we're, we have a really neat program, too. We, we, we really do. Uh, the convention center in 2017, um, we had over uh, 281 days out of the year that w- there was something happening, uh, 148 events that took place in 2017. We actually had a record year of attendance with over 252,000 people walking through the so convention there, there is demand. There is there, demand. There is absolutely demand for a convention center or a big space. What are we missing out on, though? We're missing out on the ability to host um, uh, multiple events. The uh, entry to the convention center does not allow itself to um, uh, divide itself and to hold multiple events, larger events. There is a database of meetings that are out there that if we narrow it down to meeting planners or events that would host something in the northwest portion of the United mm-hmm. States. Um, if we just just say we doubled the size, we would increase the number of opportunities that we could pursue by about 2,400 different meetings uh, that we would be able to bring to the, 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 the big question, of course, is uh, can we afford a new convention center? How much would it cost? There. And well, well, listen, we've got, a, <laughs> we've got a caller calling in. By the way, if you want to call in uh, for Patrick Kaler, have a question for him, uh, uh, president and CEO of Visit Buffalo Niagara, feel free to call us at 803-0930. But as I said, we do have uh, Michael in Tonawanda has a question about the cost. And uh, Michael, thank you for
for holding. Uh, you're on with Kevin Hardwick, Bill Conrad, and Patrick Kaler. Good morning. Thank Good, you. Uh, you're welcome. Listen, everybody. Um, I wanted to just ask a question about the cost. You were quoted in the, uh, I think, the paper, the newspaper, or maybe the legislature, that it could cost a billion dollars to build a new convention center. Is that something um, that it would be worth it? What are some of the advantages of spending that kind of money? You already answered some of the questions, I think, but that's still a pretty big number if that is correct. Mike, Michael, thank you for uh, calling in. We're going to cut you loose, and you can uh, hear Patrick's answer on the air. But thank you for, uh, for calling in. Good question. Well, yes, uh, there was a story in the Buffalo News uh, that uh, one of the county legislators did unfortunately misquote me. Uh, I attended a meeting of the legislature, and we had a conversation. It was county legislators. <laughs> hey, it, was, it was not this county legislator. Let me, let me he, make he, that plain. He got the billion-dollar number correct, but not in the context of Buffalo. Uh, what I was speaking to was the fact that the state has precedence as far as supporting convention center uh, mm -hmm. development, renovations uh, in the state of New York, and the state actually gave a billion dollars to the Javits Center uh, for their renovations of the uh, that's currently taking place at the Javits Center. So that's where the billion dollar number came from. Now to put in a little bit of context for uh, the listeners, uh, Cleveland just built a new convention center, brand new, and it's actually underground uh, and uh, so that there's park space above. It does have natural light that comes into it. It's a state-of-the-art uh, uh, convention center. It only costs, and it's more than double mm -hmm. the size of uh, our convention center. And that's a competing market for us. It absolutely is okay. a competing market for us. But it came in under $500 million. So, you know, when you look at it in that respect, you know, maybe we're looking at, under five hundred million dollars. Well, let, let me let me throw this question to Bill Conrad, my my co-host. Sure. Uh, you and I sat out at the uh, at the, uh, the the Buffalo Bills Stadium. What what do we call it now? New Era Field. Is New, that Era Field. New Era Field. New Era Field. For the World Juniors hockey game, and we we froze out there. Yes, we did. But that's that's still a pretty decent stadium. I mean, we're talking we're talking as we talk about new convention center. We're also talking about new stadium for the Buffalo Bills, or just mm -hmm. renovate or whatever. And both have huge price tags. But if you're going to, you know, if you're looking at both facilities now and what they can do and what they, a, a new one could do, you know, we might be better off putting our money in a convention center that's going to be used year-round rather than, than Oh, I thought you were going to talk stadium. about combining the two. Well, no, we could, I, I mean, there's that talk too, but, but certainly. <laughs> if I mean, you do foot, the park space, stadium, you can do a field up top. You look, know? look, you go to I'm a kidding. football game, you go to a football game this fall in, in that stadium, you know, you get a nice experience. Um, the convention center, you know, I went to the, the home show, I think was the last time I was there. I'm looking around and it's, it's, you know, it's getting kind of dingy. Yeah. Um, you know, where is our money? I went to, Obviously a, I went we to a Lego show. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> we, we can't, we can't spend money everywhere. We don't have an unlimited, uh, resources here. Where's our money better spent? I'm just, I'm just throwing this to you, Bill. I, you know, and, and would the town of Tonawanda fund it? <laughs> you're, you're a councilman. No. no. Uh, but we, I, well, but proposing something like this, we all fund it. I mean, my question goes to, I mean, do we need, like, I keep hearing the word bed tax. Mm -hmm. You know, do we need a dedicated bed tax? Do we, do we, do we mm -hmm. push for this? You know, do we put it more on the visitors that come in because the hotels, I'm hearing the hotels are for it mm -hmm. because it doesn't necessarily appear in their price. It's the people that are visiting that are paying for it right. instead of putting it on the shoulders of our Erie County taxpayers. Right. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are several different funding models that are out there that we should 
should look at when the time comes. Uh, the county, as you know, is going through a study right now to look at the economic feasibility, uh, the proper placement of where this convention center could possibly go, or what we could possibly do with the existing facility as far as any expansion or improvements. So I think once we get that study uh, done, that's when we can really start looking at what those opportunities are. Yes, uh, maybe some potential bed tax funding. Uh, there are also tourism improvement districts that are out there uh, across the United States as a uh, funding mechanism for not only the DMO but for projects like this. Um, but I think that's you know something that will be the next step is how we look at it. But again, I really want to stress the state has precedence for giving hundreds of millions of dollars for these projects. Got, got 30 seconds before top of the hour news. A tourism improvement district. Mm -hmm. Who's part of that? Is it like is it like down to where the main place mall is a business improvement district? Would it just be the hotels are participating in that? Or? It, it's it's up, not me. It's no, not it's, my house. No, it's set up through that's, the hotel so that the uh, visitors actually pay. That's it. all and I wanted to hear. It wasn't my yeah. house. Yeah. Was, yeah. I don't no. care if Bill's house is not mine. Listen, we have to take a break. <laughs> Ellen Harris standing by with the top of the hour news. Bill Conrad Conrad Tanawanda Councilman will be here. Patrick Kaler will be here. We'll be joined by Tim Clark, Buffalo Niagara Film Commissioner. I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. All Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.